It's amazing when you read through the Bible and discover how many times God has a message to send to his people, that the people are terrified at the showing up of his voice, at the showing up of a burning bush, at the showing up of an angelic being. The first words that come out of the angels' mouths usually is, be not afraid or do not fear. And yet on this night, something is different, very different. Those were messages from God sent by beings who could only be what they were. But on this night, God makes himself a human. And no one says, be afraid of a baby. Now, I must admit, I remember when our first child was born, I was scared to death. I remember the first diaper, my wife said, please change him, I'm busy. I was scared to death. Fear is there at times. But there's nothing said in the scriptures really about being afraid of a baby. Because God came not as a being that had to only be himself, but came as a being just like us, a human being, a real person, a baby like we all were at one time. God is with us. He's always been for us. He's always loved us, but on this night, he came to be with us like never before, ever. And he's been with us ever since. These past four weeks of Advent, we have been thinking through the question, who is it that's in this manger after all? We've been seeking to determine who this Jesus born in Bethlehem really is. Based on a book, A Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel, we've looked at Jesus through the eyes of an investigative reporter that used to work for a large newspaper in the city of Chicago. He's now an apologetic preacher in California and a wonderful author. If you've read some of his books, you know what I mean. We examine, first of all, the eyewitness evidence. Not only do the eyewitnesses agree with one another about Jesus, what he said and what he did, Each one goes to the grave in separate places and in separate times, continuing to declare that what they wrote is true. The eyewitnesses lived for him and were willingly dying for the truth about him that they had declared and written. Then we examined the scientific evidence. Does archaeology corroborate the dates, places, and people in power? that were included in the eyewitnesses' accounts, and without exception to this date, everyone has been corroborated. The evidence is there. Two weeks ago, we examined profile evidence. Does Jesus match God's profile? That is, God's character, God's nature, God's behavior. And as we compared texts from the Old Testament about God and the New Testament about Jesus, we saw over and over and over again the declaration of Jesus and God himself having the same character and behavior and nature. Completely, Jesus fits the profile. Yesterday, we examined a modified version of DNA evidence. Does Jesus fulfill all of the messianic prophecies, of which there are more than 300? Yes, 
Every one except one, his second coming. It hasn't happened yet. Could anyone else have fulfilled them? And the work of some statisticians who are believers, but still statisticians, have shown us outrageous numbers of the fulfillment of those prophecies. For only eight of them, it takes one in ten to the seventeenth for any one person to have ever fulfilled them. And there are more than 300. This Christmas evening, I want to give you a closing statement, a declaration of who's in the manger. Not merely a baby that we can adore, but someone far greater, far greater, and far more important to us in the living of our lives. I begin with an illustration. Virtually every classic piece of literature begins with a great opening sentence. You know some of them. The Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. The opening sentence, for example, is just 12 words. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Or Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea has only eight words. He was an old man and he fished alone. Or Moses, in the opening words of the first book that he wrote, the book of Genesis of our Bible, the ten words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Listen to the opening sentences from each of the four Gospels. These statements stand as declarations of who is in the manger. The Apostle Matthew, also known as Levi, He was a tax collector for the occupying forces of Rome. He's writing to the Jewish nation about this Jesus who asked him to follow him. These are his opening words. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew 1.1. The apostle Matthew is giving us the DNA evidence concerning Jesus Matthew reveals how Jesus fulfills the Messianic prophecies. It's the gospel that contains the most referral to the Old Testament of what was said about the Messiah who was to come. Dr. Luke, a medical doctor trained in Greece, a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, is writing to the Greeks. The Greek culture was looking for the perfect man, the man with the perfect mind, the perfect body, the perfect spirit, Doesn't that fit all of us, guys? (laughs) Okay, maybe not. Luke writes to convince them that Jesus is who they are looking for. These are Dr. Luke's opening words. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke 1, 1 1-2. Dr. Luke connects Jesus to the hope of an entire culture. Luke declares that Jesus is both the Son of Man and the Son of God, and as such, he is the Savior of humanity. Dr. Luke gives us a clear account of eyewitness evidence concerning Jesus. The Apostle John, who was the son of Zebedee, whose brother was the Apostle James, was the last of the living apostles. He moved to Ephesus and served as the overseer of the churches in that region. 
He was writing to all peoples everywhere to let them know that Jesus was the Son of God. Listen to John's opening words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1. John takes us back to the beginning where there was only God and declares that Jesus the Christ was there. The Apostle John gives us the greatest perspective and the most profound theology concerning Jesus as the Christ. John is focusing on profile evidence to show us that Jesus fits the profile of God, God's nature and God's character. And then there's Mark, also known as John Mark. He is a cousin of Barnabas, a significant second-generation follower of Jesus, a one-time traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, and a close friend of the Apostle Peter. As a companion of Peter and witness to the inclusion of the Gentiles into the faith, Mark writes to them, and in particular to the Gentiles who are of the Roman persuasion. These are his opening words. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Mark 1.1 1, 1. Mark wrote the first account of Jesus' life. His opening sentence started a whole new genre of writing known as Gospels, writings of good news. Like the Apostle John, Mark writes a profile of Jesus, not on the grand scheme of who he is universally, but on the daily, practical, and powerful actions of his life. For Mark, Jesus is the powerful servant able to do all things, but always doing them in a way that serves the good and fulfills the needs of others. With that background, this is my declaration, my personal declaration of who is in the manger. I believe that one is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah of God, God's one and only begotten Son. I believe that his conception was between the Holy Spirit and a virgin named Mary from Nazareth, that he was born in the town of Bethlehem. I believe that Jesus suffered at the hands of Pontius Pilate in Jerusalem, that he was crucified there, that he died there, that he was buried there. I believe that after dying, Jesus descended to the place of the dead which can be called Hades. I believe that three days later, Jesus rose from death, that the apostles and others spent many days with him in Jerusalem and Galilee after his resurrection, that more than 500 people experienced him and vouched for him being alive during those days, that the apostles and authors of the Gospels lived and died openly proclaiming his resurrection. He was not a crucified Christ who was raised to them. He was a resurrected Christ who had been crucified. I believe that Jesus ascended into heaven, where he sits on the right hand of God, who is the Father Almighty. There is no God but him. And I believe that from there Jesus will come to judge both those who are living and those who have died. That's who is in the manger of Bethlehem. He began with us as a baby, but who he is is far more than a loving, little, cuddly, 
needy child in a manger stall. And my role, our role, as devoted followers of Jesus Christ, is not merely to believe that, but to have His Holy Spirit be conceived in us, to live lives that give evidence of Him every day, to proudly and humbly proclaim Him as our Savior and as our Lord, and to help others come to know Him and believe themselves in who He really is. May it be so for each of us. May it be so for all of us. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. We are not different than Mary, Lord, for you wish to be born in us, even as you were born in her in that you wish the Holy Spirit to be alive in us as he became alive after the salvation of people because of what you did on the cross and in the emptying of the tomb. And you've given us but one mission in the world, to be examples of you, witnesses on your behalf, and if necessary, to use words, but mostly to live lives that give honor to you and love on the people around us. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to us personally. Thank you for making your church your body. May you be the head of this place. And may we be the parts of the body that do our work, building up the unity of the faith and the knowledge of Jesus, who is our head, and whose name we pray. Amen.